Michael, live on the pod, take two, Rusty, Jeff Williams, uh, leader, leader of the pack of the Wild Dogs. How are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, Russ, um, I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've list, listened to your podcast quite a few times, so I'm very uh, honoured to be on here with you talking all things uh, rugby, mental health, culture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to delve in. Um, one of the things we just spoke about was the day and I'm going to start with the day Tabai Matson left and, and what he said to people when he left, because I think it's an interesting start point for us to start to explore culture as an example. And then we'll go back to where you came from. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was, when I was talking, I was just, it's one of those moments in my career where I had goosebumps and it'll probably stay with me forever. Um, I'll never forget just the circumstance of him leaving, um, you know, all the... The negative stuff we 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 at Bath we at that stage we were just a little bit lost to why he was leaving, and the man came in and changed the way I look at rugby, the, the way I change the way you know way I look at culture, how you treat people. Um, and when he left, he said something to to me that will stay with me forever. He said, "You know what, Jeff? What to the group actually?" He said, "Culture will trump strategy every day of the week," and for me. It was so true, and you can look at the, the successful clubs. You know, you can look at all of them, and, and it's all about culture, man. It's not about what your tactics are. It's not about what you're doing. Obviously, you've got to have a good culture where you work hard and things like that, of course. But the culture is everything in my eyes. It's it's how you have your players feeling like like a million bucks. Yeah, you spoke a little bit about, especially you think lots of clubs don't uh, think about their squad players well enough. So, from experience, yeah. I'm guessing you are. Well, there's a word for it. It's called the bin juice. That's what's been named. Oh. Um, and basically what I was saying to you was, you know, funny enough, the time and effort it put into those people, is, it's so little at big clubs, um, but they run the change room. You know, if you, if you have those cancers in your change room where, you, where you've got players who aren't treated well, who feel unappreciated, the word appreciated is so big. And you know what, funny enough, a guy like Simon Cull, he, I once heard him speak about this. And he said that's the biggest lesson his dad ever taught him is turning on that light on everyone. Everyone has a big light on their, on their forehead, says, I want to be appreciated. And it's your job to turn that on. And for, in my experience, the bin juice, the squad player, there, there's none of that. You never get appreciated. You know, you don't, you don't get treated the same. Uh, you know, you don't get treated as, <laughs> as, as the internationals, which shouldn't be the case. It should never be the case in the working place because everyone's working together, right? So for me, if I'm ever in a position where I'm coaching or I'm involved with a culture or building a culture, people are going to understand that you look to your left and right and it's a brotherhood. You know, everyone is the same. And um, I would put so much time into those people that don't get to play, don't get the opportunity. I'd give them so much. And they would give me, they would give the group so much positive energy, and it wouldn't be like a sort of like a, a negative. Yeah. Nice. And you said those. So when I said house fronts, when I just messaged you there, you said oh, I'm appreciated and they love me. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Russ, you know, you know me though. You know me. And, yeah, you know me though, and and you are on my first coaches, and if I'm if I feel appreciated, I'll run through a wall for you. And I'll give you probably 60% more than I would if I'm not appreciated. And that's something I had at the sevens. I was saying to you, you and Ben, you really made everyone feel appreciated. And 
And I remember doing things after games and after matches, after tournaments. I was like, how did I do that? What did I, how did I get to that level? It's because some players, they need that. They play better for when they're playing for something bigger than themselves. I mean, you know, Russ, when we were, when we were tournaments, backs against the wall, Wellington, 2013 or 2012, I think it was 2013. And everything was against the wall. And I can remember your defense session uh, with, with Vic um, Vickerman. And I remember doing it. And I remember just being like, we're going to win this tournament. We're going to blitz them. You were like, what are we going to do? We're going to blitz everything. I'll never forget that. You are, you are our defense coach. And it was just, so yeah, I feel like that in France. I feel appreciated. My coaches, they just, they come to me. They, 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 they put my hand, they put their hand on my shoulder. They just, it's just, I just feel appreciated. Yeah, you know, and I've I played probably some of the best 15s rugby I've ever played in my career. Nice. I've been watching yeah. highlights on uh, Facebook. There's some pretty cool tries. When you were talking about you playing sevens, and we'll definitely come to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was with, um, with Fiji at Twickenham. Like, you were ridiculous in that game. And I'm thinking, wow, he's got some, uh, he's got some skills. With all yeah. That it would, as, as with all of them, really, I think there's another world where coaches appreciate players like you and Dan Norton and Matt Turner and they're, and they're the top five scorers in the Premiership. Yeah. I've got a question for you, Russ. I want to know what you saw in me back in 2011 because I know for a fact that Ben didn't really fancy me as a sevens player. He told me this to my face. And there was something about you. You kept, you actually phoned me. I was in France. I was sitting in, in Chateau Renard, which is a tiny village with one bakery, one bar. And you phoned me and you said, listen, we want you to play in Ireland in a, in a Kinsale tournament. I want you to play. And as your normal conversation goes, you phone me. I'm like, hello. You're like, yes, I want you to play in Ireland. And it was literally like two minutes before I could even answer yes or no. You put down the phone. Really? Um, as you as you do know in a good way it's very it's very unique to 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 Russ but what did you see in me because I've through the years um I've always been very interested in that because it changed my life I would I would immediately be uh, drawn towards people's character I'm not that asked about tech tech I actually don't see sport as tech tech so they clearly it is but actually I think the stuff that precedes that's the most important so I don't know how many emails your dad sent to Ben Ryan. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love those little journeys. I love the, you know, the fact that someone like Mark Smith can get picked for his county at 16. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, you contacted Ben Ryan, you come over, you come on a trial, you have a, you know, it, it happens to be the day that like, we had a boxing together. I think it was Chris Chidley and people were like boxing with each other. And, uh, and Greg Bard was in the team and Bardo was special forces and and you stood up to him, and I thought, oh, I'll have a bit of that. And my, my, you know, my biases, certainly at that stage, were much more around defence. I'm definitely becoming, hopefully becoming a better attack coach as, as well now, but I would just see someone that I think is going to fight for stuff. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, what would you want in your kids? And that's the number one skill I would want in my kids in France. Yeah. For um, me, it was, it was amazing, though. I, 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 I just remember that day and I, I actually looked up at the sky when they said we're doing a boxing session in this little, this little four by four grid. My knee had like not blown out, but four of the five uh, trialists had pulled up with hamstrings on their last day and we didn't do any running. It was all close combat stuff. And I looked at the star and I said, I've been playing in France in federal one. All we do is bash each other, literally fist fights every weekend. I said, 
I licked my lips and I said, yes. <laughs> now, look, I know, I, know ben, I know Greg would have absolutely filled me in if it wasn't for um, Damu Damu jumping. But I did, I did get a few good shots in, on him. And the best thing I liked about it afterwards, I went and stood right next to him in the circle. Both of our noses bleeding. And he looked at me, I looked at him and I said, this, he, he looked at everyone and said, this is what it's about. You know what I mean? This is what it's about. What it's about. And it just happened that you guys have got, the England sevens got bullied a little bit at, at, at Hong Kong. I, th- I think I don't know why they against South Africa it was a little bit of, and it was just it was just luck, not luck, but it's timing, isn't it? It's just timing, you know. And you come in and you do a boxing drill. Uh, never ever did I ever do that again with the sevens. It was you know, five years. You did it once. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was just crazy, man. It was just crazy. And I remember you. So what was your journey to get to there? So how did you end up at England sevens, and then what's been the, the stuff since then? And talk to me about the the big moments. Yeah, so basically what happened was I was, um, I was in South Africa and I, I, I lost my granddad when I was about 18, 19, which is, he was like the, the father figure in our family, really. He was, the, he was the man and the alpha man and he, he passed away and he taught me everything about rugby with my dad, of course. My dad has always been there for me, but my granddad was just like, was just there and he died and I'd really, really struggled with life and, and understanding, almost didn't go to, I stopped playing rugby really. And um, for two years, I went to university and, and, and mulled around and really bummed out of university, didn't do too well there. And, and then um, I got to a point where I was actually really struggling with myself. And um, I was in a lot of fights, a lot of, um, I was conflicted with myself. I was a very, I was a, you know me, I'm a very emotional man. So I was, I was struggling to deal with all this stuff. And I eventually moved in with my parents back to Cape Town and I got a job and I got a routine and I started working in a marketing company and I started playing rugby on the side and really fell in love with rugby again and, and started playing and, and really doing well. Played really well. Uh, played with one of the old clubs in South Africa, Hamilton's, and really loved it and um, enjoyed my work, enjoyed having a routine. Was uh, under my, my parents' roof for, for a year and that was good for me. It was good for me. And then eventually the second year, I really played well. And I sort of like, I just felt there was a roof in South Africa for me. And I met a whole lot of European people, 2010, for the, for the, the um, it was the World Cup, the Football World Cup. And everyone came over to South Africa. And I just really started thinking about playing abroad and playing overseas. And, and that's how I got to go to France. And I played, and I, it, was, it, was, it was very by chance that I got this deal to go on a trial, basically a blind trial in, in this little village, Chateau Renard. And um, I had a, a seven-day trial with them, and I absolutely blew it out the water. And then the next week, I had a trial with uh, Rotherham, and I went to Rotherham, and the, the, the legendary Andre Best was there. And uh, he sort of—it was so funny. He was like, "You got to go through hell to play, and uh, if you want to play for this team, you got to." And I was like, "Wow, this this guy's very passionate. It's a league above, you know. It's championship in England, and I was playing in the, the third division in France. I had the, the deal on the table." And eventually, I was just like, you know what? Actually, I, I don't enjoy playing for another South African. I want to try something new. And halfway through my trial at uh, Rotherham, I, I phoned up and I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm done, uh, Bester. I'm leaving. And he's like, no, I want you to play in the trial game tomorrow. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to risk it. You know, I don't, I've, I've got another contract in France. I think I'm going to go there. So I ended up going to France. And while I was in France, I was really enjoying myself. And my dad had just gone to Afghanistan. 
he's just gone. And I'll never forget sitting in France and being very upset about him going. It was financial reasons that he had to go back and put his, his jacket on and go do some some work for private security. And um, I was very upset about the whole thing. And he phoned me and said to me the one day, listen, um, I've just emailed uh, rfu at info.com. Uh, what's your stats? What's your stats? And I was like, what do you mean? What are my stats? He says, what's your bench press? What's your speed? I was like, I was like dad, I was like, dad, you, 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 uh, you can't do that. You can't email the info. He says, I've got their emails and Ben Ryan's replied. And I said, no, you're joking. And I was almost like a little bit embarrassed for him. My cheeks went red. And he says, yeah, he wants footage today. He wants footage. And my dad's got a very South African accent. That's why I put it on. He wants your footage today. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, get, give me some footage and make it quick. And I said, okay, I've got to try to get some footage of me playing in France. A little bit of stuff of me in, uh, in, um, in South Africa. And we sent it off. And um, my dad replied with, he, he texted me the one day saying, pack your bags. Uh, I'm going to buy you a flight to go to London. So I said, okay, shit, how am I going to do this? He says, you've got to be there Monday. You've got to be in London on Monday, buddy. And I said, I don't have a car. I'm playing on Sunday. How's this going to work? I thought, okay, let me find my coach. I said, coach, my French coach. Coach, uh, I've got a death, not a death, but my grand's very sick in England. Can I go over for the week? Sure, you can go over. Sure, sure. So I catch a ride with my friend who happened to have been smoking tons of marijuana. Never forget this. Drove me high from Chateau Renard to Marseille Airport. I flew myself to the Lensbridge. I rocked up there, I'll never forget. And I met all these guys, Dan Norton, uh, Rob Vickerman. I'll never forget, I was walking around in, in, in training shorts and a, and a huge jumper. And I just thought, wow, here I am in the Lensbury. You know, I got my own hotel room. Um, it was beautiful. I remember walking around at the, at the river thinking, okay, trying to prep yourself mentally for what's about to happen. And my first encounter was absolutely horrendous. I'll never forget it. We had one-on-ones on half the pitch. So I was underneath the sticks and I had to kick the ball and Dan Norton was on the halfway line. I had to tackle him. <laughs> he, ran a, he ran around me laughing. Like he was in jog mode and I was like sprinting as hard as I can because obviously if you know me, you know I give 110% in anything. And I was chasing him and he just laughed as he just breezed around me. So that was a fail. Then I had a one-on-one with, with Pauli in the five-meter channel. And he swung me around and slammed me to the ground. So I physically, I couldn't get around him. I couldn't run over him. I was like, what's happening? I was literally was nowhere, right? And I just remember that day being, those three days, being one of the toughest things of my life because my body was not conditioned for that. We had two 7K sessions in a day. And the last day was that, that boxing thing we spoke about. And that was my calling card. I'll never, that was the difference that when people could see, Hey, this guy, he's not yet a play. The other trialists all pulled up. They all stopped training. I was, I strapped my knee up and I said to, to Brett, who's another South African, if I can strap it up, but I'm not this, I'm not, I'm not leaving here without something. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. I got into that. And afterwards I went up to, I put my, my Abercrombie pink shirt on jeans, smart shoes. And I went for a little interview with Ben and everyone was like, Whoa, Jeff, my shirt, bro. Uh, I was like, yeah, I can clean up. You know, I'm not like a classic South African. And um, I've got a bit of panache about me. And Ben looked at me and said, okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, Ben with his book and he pulled me up and he pulled his, put it, you know how he used to do, flicks his leg over his, his knee and he stands there with a cup of coffee, sipping it. You know, he's very eccentric. 
And he looked at me and he goes, um, you're not quite quick enough to be a back. You're not quite fit enough to be a hooker. And you're not quite big enough to be a prop. But there's something about you. There's something about you. And I remember <laughs> looking at him, smiling, and just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very nervous. But also, when I'm nervous, I'm very um, giddy and, and, and almost just always happy, just smiley. And, you know, that's how I get. My, my brother's the same. And um, then nine weeks went by, and he said to me, I just want you to go train, go get fit. We're going to call you back. Nine weeks went by, and I'll, just before that, I was sitting in, before, after that, I was sitting in my, my, my aunt's house, because she lives in England, and I was in a, in a bath with Epsom salt, and I was almost in tears with the pain, and I thought, I'll never do that again, I'll never do that again, I'll ne never forget it, it was a green bath, I'll never forget that feeling, I'll, say, I'll never do that again, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I was embarrassed, but I went away, and I trained, and I trained so hard that I never played much for the, for the, for the, for the team in France anymore, because I was so knackered. And I would say, yes, that's perfect. I'm on the bench this week. I can train harder on Monday. And I trained and I ran and I ran. And nine weeks went by and no call. And behind the scenes, my dad had sent this guy potentially 20 emails, potentially 20 emails to Ben Ryan saying, give this kid another chance. He didn't tell me about this. Wow. And he, he texted me the one day, it's been 12 weeks, and he texted me and he said, Jeff, they're going to fire you over. Ben feels sorry for you. He's paying for your flight. He feels like you, he owes you because you, you paid for the first one. I was like, nah, I'm not going. I'm not going. I, I, I said to him, I'm not, he said to me, what? You're not going to go? I said, nah, I'm not going, buddy. Uh -uh. And I put down the phone. And my dad phoned me back again. And he said, I hope you got over your little stiff with yourself. Huh? He said, your flights are booked. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And then I spoke to Nadine. She organized. Nadine was a lovely manager. Nadine Cook, shout out to you. Lots of love. Uh, she booked my tickets. And that's how it started. Because when I got there, first time we're doing the, the, the full pitch, one-on-ones, I catch the ball, and I run straight at Brakey, and I bounce him. Boom. And John Brake was, was a dog. And he, he was on his bum, and I scored. And I was like, yeah. Now we... Now we can play. Now we, now we on the, <laughs> and I tackled um, Shan, Sam Shires one on one. He was a huge, uh, like, huge flanker, and he ran straight at me, and I tackled him. But, but all I had was a def defense, really, because my defense was everything. My, my attack was very uh, limited. I wasn't very gifted, but I was a dog in defense. And that's, and then Ben just after that that that, that, that session, he kept bringing me back, and I kept telling my coach in France. Um, I've got something wrong with my grand. Can I go back? And he kept letting me go because I was so shite on the weekend. And I kept playing on a Sunday, traveling on a Monday, coming back on a Wednesday afternoon, travel on a Sunday, play Sunday, go on Monday. And I kept doing this, kept doing this. And eventually they said to me, okay, we're not going to give you another contract at this Federal One Club. And I smiled like a Cheshire cat because inside I knew there's bigger things. And when it was announced, I never told anyone. I made sure no one knew that I was doing trials with England. No one knew this. And my first cap, I'll never forget this. It's got a lot to do with you too, by the way. A lot to do with you. I know you behind the scenes are talking to Ben all the time about it. And you, like I said, you forced this with me going to Kinsale and then me getting man of the tournament at that, at, that, at, that, at that game. And then flying back directly into Twickenham from Kinsale pub, pub tournament where we, we got boozed up. Um, and we flew in. I flew in on a, a, a Monday morning. Guess where I'm training? Home of rugby, Twickenham. And you came up to me and you said, Jeff, 
close your mouth, I can smell the alcohol on it. He said, you look me in the eyes. And I said, no, 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 I didn't drink, I didn't drink. And you looked at me and just laughed and you ran off because you knew who was there. You knew the guys that were there, uh, the Woodroves, those type of guys. And Ben Ryan said to me, squad of 15, you're not going to play this tournament, you're going to train. And then all of a sudden, Brakey had a head knock and he wasn't getting right. And he was my roommate, right? And Ben called me into his room. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I cried. He said to me, um, you're in the 12th. We're taking you. We're not going to take um, Simon Hunt. And I looked at him. said, you in? And I just broke down. He said, and by the way, we're going to contract you next year too. And I just, everything stood still. And I just left the room. And I was no shoes on. I can still feel the carpet walking through to my room. Breaky was there, you know, he was so weird with these things he was doing. And he was like, had like things on his eyes trying to make himself get better from the concussion. And so I couldn't celebrate too much. And I'll never get going then. I'm like, I'm, I'm contracted. I'm contracted with England 7. Yeah, man. And he was, like, he was like, oh, good for you, bro. Good for you. It's so awesome. And then I wore his number seven that weekend. And my first touch of the ball was against Australia. And I scored. I'll never forget scoring in the corner. And uh, Tom... Tom Powell tried to uh, get the ball from me and I just threw it into the crowd and we were trying to win the game. I misread the situation completely and got a backhand on the back of my head from Tom Powell. But yeah, that, I mean, you had a huge part in that. Um, I don't know if you remember, remember any of that. Uh, me, was me, Jobby, all those guys we had training that, at, those, at that time. It was, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty cool time. What do you think, what would be the top two or three things you think you brought to the team? Because I think you would... There could be a lot of, we spoke earlier about, you know, you wish, you wish the young Jeff had a 31-year-old Jeff to help him now. I would, um, I would have benefited from a 31-year-old Rusty or a 31-year-old. Yeah. What are the things you would, you would tell that young person? What's the stuff that you feel like you were bringing? Yeah, I think for, for what I would go back and tell myself at that stage is, is, um, the professionalism that came with, with, with becoming a sevens player, the information, the knowledge that I have now, and the mental side of things that I, that I have now, the tools that I have, I like to call them tools, I would, I would be on so many little things to make myself feel better mentally, not just looking after my body, not just looking after what I'm doing training, but also my mental side of the game. I think it would have been, it would have been good. I mean, I'm always a hearty guy and emotion runs deep in me, and that was probably my biggest strength in playing sevens was my... I could have been fitter, probably what I could have been, but my emotional drive, my energy to, 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 to want to deliver. And I hold myself at, at a very high level in terms of mistakes and things like that. So when, when I think the feeling, I'm sure you guys would back this up. You knew what you were going to get from me every single game. I think there was a few times maybe when I was tired and when you would, when you would see Jeff switch off maybe, but you know what you would get from me You'd always get a smile. You always get a guy excited to play, a guy who's excited and maybe never took it for granted. Uh, I think that was that was me. What would you say? I mean, you, I'd like to hear what you think about about yeah, me but, as uh, all of that, really. And I think it's under a pre, it's it's not understood by young players that well, coaches want to pick people like that. So I want to pick someone that you know, especially in sevens where you're traveling. You know, it looks all glamorous, but you're on a you're on a minibus quite a lot of the time, and you're you're traveling and you're in hotels. And so um, 
the person that helps other people get better, the person that brings energy, the person that's mental, you know, able to mentally um, have impact in games, um, I think it's critical. And often we're just too focused on the, you know, the technical type stuff. Uh, so I think yeah, that, that's that, so, that's, that's so really right. John Brake, Sam Edge, Crackers often, you know, those type of guys that would, I just would love to have them in my team, quite frankly. That's exactly, exactly what I'm talking about, about a, a potential bin juicer. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these guys like, Motrana, I'm, I'm one of them. Not the most gifted guys, but they the glue to your culture. They are the guys that when you want to finish your rep at eight instead of going to 10, they pick you up and tell you to do it. The John Breaks, the Sam Edges. There's no one else I would pick. And I would, I'd get bamboozled with things. I still do. When people don't pick these guys, I'm like, obviously, clearly, coach, you were too talented when you were growing up and you didn't understand the value of having just, we, I call it a dog. He's just a dog. He's like an old leather shoe. It's always comfortable. You know what you're going to get and it's reliable. And it's what he does. I tell you what, these type of guys, these binge guys, they are so important to a group. They, um, I'm not just saying because I think I am one or I was one or something like that. I know it because I can read energies. And these type of men that, that, that are fighters, that, that, that hold everyone to a standard, it's so important in the group. And with the sevens, you've named a couple that were so important. What, um, so from sevens you went to Bath. What did you learn at Bath? What type of stuff did you learn from? Yeah, I mean, look, you've, we mentioned Tabai at the start. Yeah. Um, be up there in my five coaches that I've observed and hung out with. What type of stuff did you learn from Tabai? Uh, for me, Tabai was always about doing the small things really well and honing your, your skills and working on those little skills. So just loving that work, loving that work by making it fun, making it interesting and giving you the freedom to, to make choices. But having the skill set and tools, just like I said, tools is a great word because I love that you can have mental tools, you can have tools on a rugby pitch, you can have tools as a UFC fighter, tools as a coach. And these are, he wanted us to make sure we, we have time during the week so we hone us our, our, our tools. And he treated everyone the same. He'd look a man in the eyes and he'd treat you the same. You know, and that was so important. That's something I learned. And I also learned never, never bitch and moan even if you get, get a knife in your back. Have... have tact about you have a have a class about you i just I, for me that was unbelievable and the importance of culture of course the importance of culture i mean bath bath taught me so much about culture for all the wrong things if that makes sense because i was i was when he left uh and obviously i was injured in that last year but it was really a tough year i think bath are up now i think they've changed a lot and and and, and also as it goes, but it was just a tough, tough, tough year for me personally with, with, with everything. And it was just, the culture was not right. Um, with Mike Ford, funny enough, the culture was really, I actually enjoyed it because it was a culture of improving every day. So going in there and having to work hard, he, he, he was a man of that. He was no nonsense, old school. Um, and I, I actually enjoyed working, working with him and he was, he was honest with me. Uh, he was honest with his players around him. Not everyone has that opinion about him, obviously. But you always look, you always look, it's funny enough, you always look at the, the team, the year, and who's, who's running the show. Because that's where, where culture filters from. 
So if your if your main man, you look at the Patriots, and you look at Belichick and what he's doing, and how aligned he is with the owner Robert Kraft, you understand that he has complete control of what he's doing, and he doesn't have someone breathing down his neck, forcing him to do this, forcing him to do that. And I think that's been a huge problem for Bath for many years. Um, it's just it's it's just it's just sad that I was there during that time because. But it was when I say sad, it was sad because I couldn't express and enjoy the rugby. But the benefit was the lessons I learned off the pitch of how you, how you treat humans, how you, how you treat teams, how you treat cultures. Um, there were so many lessons for me with Tamai. Like I said to you, you, Ben, uh, uh, my, my, my coach when I was 13, uh, Richard Kent, uh, and Tamai Matson um, were all very instrumental in, in, in helping me see you know, the bigger picture. Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, one of the other things you mentioned about, and, and I would agree, so anyone that goes into Bath, you know, one of the skills they're going to need is the ability to manage upwards. I think it's going to be quite critical. Um, you spoke a bit about Tabai and actually some of the stuff he did off the pitch in terms of psychological skills. Uh, do you want yeah. to talk about that? Yeah, he, 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 he helped a lot of players with understanding the, the crux of psychology. We used to have at least once a week, we used to have a, a sit-in and learn things about the brain. He was working very closely with uh, Don McPherson, who's very, very close with me, who taught me a lot, actually. He took me under his wing and wanted to mentor me and teach me a lot and work with Bath together. And I did a visualization thing with the team at one time um, where we came in, we took all our shoes off, we sat in a circle. And, uh, with England 18s, Peter Walton does the visualisation stuff. The lads yeah. love it. It's I, amazing. I really struggle with it, but do you want to talk about, about what you did? Because I think it's the reason you beat uh, Saints at the Gardens for the first time in a long while. Yeah, it was, um, it was one of those moments where I just was super excited. I, was, I was, wasn't playing, I was injured, and I wanted to be involved. And... Uh, Tabar gave me opportunity to, to lead a meeting. So I decided to do something a bit different. I had some tribal music of the Indian culture where, you know, the Red Indians were some of the, the best cultures and how they used to fight and live together and the respect that everyone has with speaking around the fire. So I had the tribal music going as, it, as everyone walked in and everyone's eyes were, what the hell's this, the Monday morning? And I just asked everyone to take their shoes off, please, and leave them at the door, come down into the room. Yeah, my head coach allowed Jeff Williams, yeah, good player, to lead a, a visualization session for the lads. Yes, How yes. Amazing. And we got into this big circle and um, the tribal music slowed down, slowly went down. And then all of a sudden the fire was on the big screen. And I worked with old, old Coops, old Snoops with this. <laughs> and I, I had the fire in the background. And, um, what was Coops? Sort of... Dan Cooper, England Sevens analyst. Then, then yeah. Pretty... To be fair to Coops, he's pretty straight down the line. He would definitely yeah. say, are you sure, Jeff? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, he, he knew me very well. We've been together on tours for many, many times. And I think he knew me. He knew how, he knew Jeff inside out. So he wasn't surprised by this. He just, I think, was having a laugh on the inside about how the boys are going to react. Yeah. And the boys actually reacted well because I was super confident. My shoulders were back. I didn't ask him, please, can you? I said, guys, put the shoes there, come down. I had all this, the, the chairs in a circle and I went into the middle and I stood there and everyone was sitting down and I said, thank you for gathering. Thank you for joining me. And there was fire and I said, please, can you close your eyes? And everyone was like, 
one eye open, one eye, what the hell's this guy doing? What is he doing? Jeff, is this a joke? They weren't saying it, but I could see body language. One of those things I can do, I can read body language. And I just said, I just said to the, the guys, please close your eyes and then I'll start narrating the story that I've written. And basically it was a story of how we wanted to play. I was just giving the guys a visualization of what's coming this weekend. You know, everything from the box kick, from the kick chase to Danny making that first hit on a nail, you know, from uh, Matt Bannan chasing a kick, tackling George North, putting him into touch. Now, look, I, I've, got, I've got the writing still in my book, in my journal, because I've kept all my journals since I've joined the Sevens. And I've got tons of wacky writing and postcards that you gave me before games and everything. And I've, it's there. But at the end, I'll never forget it because I broke down into tears because I was, again, another story of me crying. I sound like a crybaby, but uh, I'm not. I can guarantee you. <laughs> no, and, and I, said, I just pointed at Tobias. and I, I just said, um, from the wild dogs is what the back three, we call ourselves the wild dogs. And I just said to him, from us, I'd like to thank you for, for everything that you've given us and giving us opportunity. And I, I just couldn't hold that in because I looked at him and the man he is, and he, he actually helped me uh, secure a, a six-month contract with the club, even though I wasn't going to play, purely on what I was doing off the pitch uh, with the mental stuff and all that and the coaching and the helping. And um, I just broke down. I'll never forget that. And he came up to me afterwards, and he had a little tear in his eye. And he, as a man, he just gave me a little hit on the back of the head and sort of pulled my hair. And, you know, it was, it was one of those moments in my career when I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was a little bit embarrassed, I won't lie. Because there wasn't, I mean, the guys around me were like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, this is a bit hectic. But because I don't wear my heart, to my, well, I do wear my heart to my sleeve, but I don't tell people I'm super, I'm super nervous about not having a contract or not knowing where. And I mean, tons of players in the premiership now are getting this because of the salary cap, players' salaries going up. The squad player is becoming like the dodo bird, a little bit extinct. You know, they, you don't see them around as much. And um, you probably see them as fans playing in Pro D Dur. Yeah, in 22 degrees. I mean, life is pretty good. I won't lie. But at that moment, you think there's nothing else. So you, you get a bit worried, okay? And, but at that, at that stage, I'll never forget that one of those moments in my career. And um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And he was a brilliant coach. And is a brilliant coach. I mean, he's with the Chiefs now. I speak to him a lot. He's, uh, he's been very active with me, trying to get me to coach, trying to get my badges. He, he actually made me get my level two uh, coaching course, he got me to think, try to get a psychology degree, uh, start working with a very good friend of mine, uh, Klaus, uh, who actually has a psychology business in, in, in Copenhagen that I've actually seen about three or four times and been upskilled with him and doing courses with him. So it's, 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 it was great for me. But I mean, you, you remember, Russ, you were there, you've seen what he, what he does for the player and how he, how he, how he tools the player, right? I'm going to touch base with him when we go to uh, New Zealand because, uh, yeah, I would. So I remember having a conversation around Josh Bayless and him just saying, you know, there was a big debate around whether Josh should do sevens or, you know, he was like, why wouldn't he? It's going to make him a better player. Yeah. I'm thinking, mate, if only all the other coaches thought that. I mean, you think back to, you know, the stuff that sevens taught you or what, you know, you just think back to the list of things you could, you could say, I learned this playing sevens. There's so much stuff. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's the it's the it's the it's the problem with rugby in the UK. It's not about the player. The player is an asset. It's all about now. It's all about getting to play now. But the the, the for the betterment of the player, 
like in New Zealand and Australia and South Africa, get him to go play sevens. Get him to learn how to run space. And let me tell you what, two years later, the investment you'll get, you'll have a superstar. You'll have a guy being able to beat someone on the edge using feet, using a dummy, using inside pass. These are skills. Like I said, tool sets. Go let him get a tool set. But there's a, there's a, there's a miss between England or sevens and premiership teams. There's a, there's a missing link. There's, you know, it's become too much of a business. It's too risky. Well, I don't know what's risky about it, but it just seems like there's, it's, it's, not, it's not a good pathway at the moment. It's not a good pathway. I mean, Rory McConaughey. Um, the, uh, that, you, know, you know what that is, though, hey? Dan Cooper. Sevens. In-depth knowledge in the player. Yeah. In-depth knowledge. And he would never have taken, Bath would never have taken the chance on McConaughey. McConaughey was, was re he's really good. And he's an amazing player. But they wouldn't have taken a chance on him like that if it wasn't for the connection between Stuart and Cooper. Stuart Hooper and Cooper. Cooper, the analysis who worked with the sevens, who knew Rory so well and would have spoken so highly of him behind closed doors that he would have taken a chance, taken a punt. So, yeah. Now let's talk about another time you cried. Uh, uh, <laughs> 2013 World Cup. Uh, shirt oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that. I remember this clearly. I remember this... Because it was such a tough build-up. I actually thought, you know, when you spoke about, you know, people being over the edge as an example, um, I thought, oh, my God, we are either going to do really well in this tournament or we've all wasted all our energy <laughs> doing a shirt presentation because I'm exhausted. I'm crying my eyes out for about 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where, again, I'll never forget, it's a moment in my life where a group of people pulled together and that feeling you just know when you know, you just, you look at the man and you know, Matt Turner presented my Jersey to me and he's a fellow South African and, and he never ever opened up. Matt Turner was a very guarded man. He opened up to me behind closed doors and stuff, but he never opened up in groups. He's just the way he is. And he looked at me and he almost had like a little glint of, of, of tear, you know, and he was, he just said from where you've come from to where you are now, it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I couldn't speak. And all I could say was, you guys know I'm crazy, man. And I've got your back. And that's all I could spit out. And I was, I was broken. And I said, I called up Tommy, Tommy uh, Mitchell to present him with his jersey, hugged him. I'll never forget that. That was 2013. And can you believe you can remember a moment so vivid? And I know you've got that on camera. And I know you've recorded it, and I've never watched it, and I never will watch it. I'm just thinking about where I was. So actually, that year I did a, and this would be a good recommendation to anyone. So there was a phenomenon going around called like three second or five second videos. So I recorded for nine months of the year, every day at least one three to five second video. So it and it was in wow. the build up. So it was as you would know, it was an interesting year. So we won. We won Wellington. We had all the stuff going on around, you know, the RFU and Banjo. And, and then we had a couple of tough tournaments. And then we... Two finals. The final, we get a few finals. And actually, we start to turn it. And all the kind of, you know, your family stuff going on as well. So I've got like, it's about an hour long video of nine months of that year. That's so cool. It's class. Like, <laughs> that was one of the coolest years of my life. 
definitely ups and downs. I'll never forget us all hugging in Australia, the weirdest thing. <laughs> it was just a weird here. It was, it was unbelievable. It was so funny. But so you've got this video. Have you, you need to send it to me, mate. You need to send it to me. I've just written it down. The other thing I've just written down is the seven. You remember me and Cook did the sevens motivational thing where we were, um, where we were like, uh, we got all the lions to wish us luck and also we were thinking about. Yeah. Anyway, Sam Edgley sent a funny video. Anyway, anyway. Yes, I'll never forget that with his mom. <laughs> what uh, I mean, what's been your what's been what be your advice to coaches? So, you've you've experienced lots of coaching. You've had some stuff that you would have enjoyed. Some stuff that you know you you might not have enjoyed too much. What would be your top two or three tips to coaches? Um, it's a great question. Because my job, uh, yeah, and I think first and foremost is honesty. Be honest with a player. Look him in the eyes and tell him what you think him. Tell him what he thinks. Tell 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 him what you think of him. And if you don't rate him or you don't not going to play him because he's lacking certain skills and you've got a gut feeling about the next man, we are humans. We we do like to we have preferences. One man's going to like me. He's not going to like um, X, Y, or Z. It's just the way it is. And this happens to be, I have a coach now that likes me and that's why I play. Where before I didn't. <laughs> you know, be honest with him. Just be honest. It's so, it's so easy, but it's so difficult, I think, for coaches because they think they have to manage. But management is about being honest and transparent. And I would love a board. I mean, you probably find that at, at, at Saracens, players know when they're going to play. They know when they're not going to play. People are talking about, you know, the salary cap and I laugh about it when I hear that they've been cheat, they're the only one because they've cheated with cash. <laughs> I think there must be seven or eight teams that have been over salary caps and have been doing illegal stuff. I'm not even lying. I'm not even lying. It's not the way, it's not about money. Culture is about how you treat people for a consistent amount of time and keeping people around. So that's the second thing is make people feel appreciated just because they're not involved with your team or not involved with your match day or haven't been involved for three weeks, get them involved. Get them making, make them feel, because I promise you now, a happy player will run through a wall for you and you'll find extra 20%. And, he'll, and the, let me tell you what, the good players will see how you treat the other players. They'll see that and they'll understand that this is real. Yeah. This is not a business. This is bigger than, we are playing for everyone. These guys, they see it, you know what I mean? And they walk, you, 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 yeah. You know, when they get treated so well and, and you, you see the, the internationals of the world getting treated so well, I get it. They're your show ponies and they're your, your big dogs. But let me tell you what, those snails and those donkeys and those, what do you want to call them, the bin juices, they are just as important. They set the mood. They set the energy. Everyone happy. Try keep your truck. You can't keep everyone happy. Of course you can't. But if you're being honest, one, you can at least they know where they stand and there's no, there's no deviation. They know that they have to work on this or they have to work on that. Or you just, I just prefer this other guy. And let me tell you what, when it becomes dark, deep, dark winter, I've got a game just for you. In the middle of December, we're playing Bristol away. This is your game and I want you to be ready. You've got two weeks to get fit. You're not going to play for two weeks unless there's a huge injury crisis. But I'm going to give you this game, okay? Don't worry. Don't worry about making mistakes, about the fear. Just go out there. That's another thing. That's the third thing I would say is coaches eliminating fear from players. Yeah, you spoke about that before. So you used that word and I wrote it down and I was like, wow, it's a strong word. Yeah. 
what are you what are you noticing about fear and and, and where it exists in 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 so the difference between i'm just going to give you an example difference between playing in france and different playing in england is everything revolves around fear in in england no mistake don't make a mistake yeah box kick take your take your catch don't be off sides don't do this don't do that there's no there's always fear of mistake right you're always known for we talk about your mistakes your stats so you always have it there if i was a co- i would just let my players listen and i watched something from rusty rasmus and it just hit me i was like that's it that's what he's talking about that's exactly it the coach's job right is to select players select players who can make the least amount of mistakes but but throw themselves into the most amount of battles i want players that fearless He's going to jump into every battle. He's going to try every single time to get involved with a battle. Not be fearful of making a mistake. So, hey, I'm not going to go into this battle because I might lose this. I might lose this ruck. I might lose this tackle domination. I might lose this lineup, so I'm not going to compete. As human beings, we do that. We want to keep our slate clean. And like you said earlier, people don't speak about stuff because they want to keep their jobs. People don't talk about what's really happening in premiership rugby because they want to keep their jobs. They don't want to piss off this coach or this player because he might be the next coach. I might need a coaching job. I might need this because rugby is a small world. So you want to keep everyone sweet. So everyone tiptoes around each other like an old boys club. And, you know, there's a few players that don't really give a shit anymore like Ellis Genji. And he talks about it. And it's, it's absolutely beautiful to watch because yeah, it's like, yeah. But he's on, he's on 400,000 and he's a, he's a huge guy. He's, I mean, he's always going to have a job for the next 10 years. But a Binju's player can't do that. Someone in the premiership who hasn't, who, who's looking for a job, you, you can't be vocal. You can't, you, you're fearful. You walk around and you play with fear. And I think if you eliminate that, you've got a, your, your player who's going to take few, a few more risks, who's going to be more expressive, express their real personality on the pitch. And like you said, that's what you want from players. You want, that's why rugby is a beautiful game because it's got so many different characters. You've got props who are the weirdest men in the world. You've got these tall locks. You've got these cocky little scrum halves that want to rule the roost. You've got these handsome flowers that think they're models. You've got these wingers that are they're gangster and, you know, we, we, it's, it's fly and it's and also models. It's just completely different types of people. And you want to be able to express that in some like a, a um, what's that thing when the music's all playing? Like a orchestra you know we want to orchestrate and the manager's job is almost like an orchestrator he's got to he's got to orchestrate and he's got to put these together and he's going to make uh, everyone play what five players you would want in your orchestra who would you want in your orchestra from your years of playing um number one sam edgley he'd be my number uh, one he'd be he'd be there because he's just he never say die never say die he's always up for the fight i've seen him in the toughest situations uh, losing, winning, family issues, and he's always he was always up for it. So he was he would be my number one. Um, number two, I would have. Uh, this is quite tricky, actually. Now, um, Anthony Watson. Anthony Watson is one of the most professional guys I've been around. Talking about doing extras, recovery, also just really fun to be around good laugh, um, but never seen someone so successful and, and still so working hard at his craft and his skill yeah. and how to get better, recovering. I promise you, behind the scenes, the guy is phenomenal. He really is phenomenal. And his mentals, he does so much mental work with Don McPherson. You guys wouldn't believe it. Hours and hours of visualization by himself in a room. It's like crazy. 
couple of things I'm thinking about with Ant Watson is one is is the only player my son's ever met and been fully starstruck. Uh, <laughs> two, he's really good under the high ball. But Fred said when he was under eighteen, he was terrible under the high ball. And three, then uh, clearly the parent—he's got great parents because to be great fair, parents. Marcus, Watson, uh, he's 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 in he's in my he's in my team too. Marcus Watson's in my team. They can share. They can be equal seconds. Yeah, for me, Marcus, Marcus is my roommate. He was my roommate on tour. And I've never met a more pure man. Pure in terms of always looking in the good of people. And that's so important in a team, right? So he's going to give you, he's going to give you talent and flash and bang. But I've never seen someone... He's as sympathetic as I am. And he has sort of like... He's in touch with people's emotions as much as I am. And that's, that's rare, I believe. He's so good at that. He's so good at at reading the situation. He was so good to young guys coming in, making people feel welcome, always had a smile on his face. It's so funny that these guys played sevens with me and we were in this group. It's, it's, it's a wonder why we were actually very successful and we, we had so many great memories. Uh, the next guy, let me go with Tom Dunn. Dunny, of course he is. The toughest player that I think I've ever played with. Yeah. Toughest, resilient. And when I got there, let me tell you this. He was fourth choice. Could have, couldn't have been on more than 40K a year or maybe less. Not that it's a small contract. But the way he was treated, I've never seen it quite like it. And we played Saracens on a Monday night game and I see, saw this guy make tackle after tackle and smash guys. And I was like, how is this guy not in the, the first team? I've never seen anyone tackle like this. And he's not getting knocked out because his head's the size of like a, a small bull. And I'm like... I remember telling him, you're going to play for England, bro. You're going to play for England. I know. I can see it. And he's like, he's like nah, my lineouts. I was like, what, what's wrong with your lineouts? No, they, they don't trust me. I can't throw in. There. Classic example of fear keeping, back from, keeping someone back from their true talent. As soon as he lost that fear because he didn't give a shit anymore because someone backed him like Todd Blackett, eh? he saw this beast that is Tom Dunn who has got a heart the size of a lion. He would tackle anything. I would love to see him play for England. You know why I would love to see him play for England? He'd find another gear. You'd see something different from him that you wouldn't even see a premiership. He'd break himself. He'd kill himself. He'd die. Yeah, he, his, his mentality is, for me, if Jones saw him play for England, Jones would be like, oh, my, this is my guy. This, is my, this could be my captain because of how he would go to that next level. I promise you. I, I actually... Gee, I'll take a bet and watch here when he gets his cap. I thought it was going to come against Scotland. When he gets his cap, there's the sixth gear. It's going to be like, I'm not talking about running and breaking the line. I'm talking about how he's going to defend, how he's going to hit things, how he's going to be in battles. You won't see him any more better than that. Yeah, I remember meeting him at the England students' trial and thinking, this kid's pretty keen. I've never met anyone this keen. He's keener than I am, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. I promise you, he's keener. And he's keen for anything, eh? <laughs> last person in your team. Um, last person in my team. Mm, who else would I pick in my team? It's, it's quite tricky now. It's my team. Uh, we need some... We need, we've got some star. We've got some star. We've got some grunt. I need... Uh, you know... Oh, man. It's difficult to say now. I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with John Brake. Oh. I'm going to go with John Brake. Of course you because, are. Yeah, because 
He's, he's my, he was my guy when I didn't want to do an extra rep. He'd come and whisper in my ear with his little funny voice. Finish that. <laughs> he was always there and he just was militant, but like a beautiful soul. Um, very interesting, off the pitch. Um, Red John, unbelievably entertaining um, and so serious and did the work. I've never seen any work, anyone work as hard as that guy and, and he, would be, he would be my team too. Yes, and we wouldn't lose a game. Yeah, and I was. Watching, <laughs> I watched him coach the other day, and he's he's definitely as excited about coaching as he was about playing. And I love the way you reminded me of Red John with the passport in uh, the shower. <laughs> <laughs> how how was his how was his coaching though? What was he what was he what was he what type of coach is he? I mean, give me one minute. I would hope that he wouldn't be too intense, and he, I, hope he, I would hope he would allow players to still have a flow because I, I think maybe I don't know how would be I don't know I think it could it could go two ways with him it could be extreme and, and be over the top with you know getting involved too much and not allowing the players to to play but I know he'd always give his heart so he's chilled he's bringing energy he's letting them solve problems I mean it's a good team for him to be coaching obviously there's yeah. a lot of you know T-Bob and Dan Bibb and lots of those guys and Phil Burge who are doing a lot of problem solving. I, I set them a couple of tasks and they did them, which was pretty cool. So he's also trying stuff. He's willing to be brave. He's keen to learn. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah, mate. He'll be, a good, he'll be a great coach. And him and Rodgers is probably a good balance, as you would imagine. It's a great balance. It's a great balance. <laughs> it's like, it's, we always just say, it's like Banjo's little kids. It's almost like his little twins have come through, you know? Because he, I mean, you guys brought these guys all through. If you look at the side now, still, they're all still the main guys, all still the guys that you... I'm not trying to take anything away from Simon. I'm not trying to take anything away from Simon. 103. It's crazy. Yeah, it's mate, crazy. I'm going to finish with the one-worders. I've got a few, uh, and you just got to go one-word answers for these things, all right? Okay. England sevens. Life. Uh, Fifteens. Lessons. Bath. Dark. I remember you said to me, Rusty, I spend 90% of my time practicing something I'm not very good at. How do you think I feel about myself? <laughs> I use that quote a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, France. Sunshine. 22 degrees, mate. Uh, and sunshine in my life. <laughs> don't break. Energy. Sam Edgley. Heart. Ben Ryan. Eccentric. <laughs> He'll love that. Mate, it's been a pleasure. So much stuff. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for bringing me on. Really, it's been so great talking to you. And like I said, it's, we've, we've walked a nice, lovely road together. So I'm very appreciative of all you've done for, for my sort of life. In, in, you know, not getting deep or anything, but really, it's, it's, you really have been great to me. And vice versa. Taught me a lot. Yeah, taught me a lot. <clears throat> uh, where can people find you if they're curious to follow you? You be on social media. Yeah, I, I have got a closed account on uh, Instagram. I do post very fruity pictures of um, portraits of my friends and my humans, as I call them. And then Twitter, I keep a, I keep a rugby and, and news and things like that. So I'm on those two, two uh, outlets. So, but I'm not very active. I'm not very active. I just like to look from afar. <laughs> nice, man. Cool. Been awesome. 
Have a great Thanks, day in shine. Think of me in the rain heading to uh, Oxford. Hey, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time, Russ. Cheers, dude. Cheers, bro.